Well, uh, thanks, Pastor Jason, for sharing your story with us, uh, especially the parts where you experience the tugs of temptation. It takes courage to be vulnerable and talk about your struggles and failures with the community that you're getting to know. And so I just want to say I'm grateful to you and to Betty uh, and that you and your family are part of our faith community. And for the rest of you, you're going to get to hear Betty's story uh, later on in May. So I invite you to stay tuned for that. Well, I want to welcome you friends into this online space together. My name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And today we're going to continue with our teaching series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled, Who is Jesus? And this is a profound question that every one of us as human beings will have to answer one day. And so here at Jericho, we wanted to give you some handholds to be able to answer that, not just intellectually, not just theologically, but personally and relationally. Who is Jesus to you? And so last week we set the stage by overviewing the family history that Jesus emerges from when he's born in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago as fully God and fully human, but also fully Jewish and fully first century. And so we're going to see again today a very human aspect of Jesus' life and story. And the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4 verse 15 that, quote, Jesus faced all of the same testings or temptations that you and I do, yet he did not sin. Well, why in the world does this matter? Sometimes I think we have the odd notion that Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, just descended to earth. And since Jesus was 100% divine and 100% human in that time, we sometimes think of him as like a Superman, Clark Kent kind of figure. He was going about his normal everyday life activities, like say eating a meal, he's going to be all Clark Kent-like. But then when he needed to do something amazing, like heal someone, resist temptation, oh, he just put on that super suit and bam, he was able to do incredible things because, you know, he was God. But in our text today, Jesus is not pulling a Superman move, doing something that no ordinary human like you or I could do. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to see actually a very human moment in the life of Jesus, a moment where he is tempted. And we're going to see that he chooses not to spiritually bypass in this moment of high challenge and high stress. He doesn't just put on a super suit and push through. He experiences the same struggles and challenges that you and I experience. He has to go through this and other moments of intense temptation. Jesus faces being enticed, solicited, and provoked to sin. Sin is where we choose that which is wrong instead of God's vision for human flourishing. And this temptation story is not some kind of ah, easy, no big deal thing. This is a very real, very high stakes thing because if Jesus sins and gives into temptation, his mission and his authority to defeat sin as the perfect sacrifice is compromised. And Jared Crosley already read for us the sections of the text as part of our worship in song. But I'm going to read it here again so we get the full picture of what's going on. Turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 11 in the New Living Translation. Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. 
During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple and said, well, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. They'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. That's a quote from Psalm 91. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Verse 8, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, the devil said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. It's given to us in love and for our benefit. Thanks be to God. So, friends, I want us to explore what do we see here in the way that Jesus deals with temptation that can help us understand how to handle temptation in our own lives? Because all of us are going to be tempted. I love what the great playwright and poet Oscar Wilde said cheekily, well, I can resist anything except temptation. And so the first thing that we need to say is that if Jesus was, as the scriptures teach us in other places, fully without sin, and yet here we see him undergoing temptation, we need to recognize that it is not a sin to be tempted. It is simply a fact of life. You and I will face challenges. You and I will feel that pull towards bad decisions and bad actions. But let's be clear, this moment is not the moment that you are guilty of sin. The book of James uh, describes the process in this way. In James chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, Remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, Oh, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and God never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So temptation is that moment where we are beginning to be enticed and beginning to be dragged away, but the moment before sinful action actually occurs. It's not a sin to experience temptation. If you're in an exam and you experience the tug to kind of glance over and cheat off of the student next to you, or if you're doing your taxes and you have the thought bubble up in your head, you know, no one will know if I claim this exemption that I'm not entitled to. Or if you're feeling that sexual tug physically or in your mind and imagination toward a person who is not your spouse, these are all moments of temptation just as a few examples of that. But in that moment, you have not yet moved to the place of sin. Our desires, James says, kick into gear, and we begin to imagine a pathway forward from that place of temptation. But it's when we begin to start down that pathway that it becomes sin for us. 
So the question for you and me is not, oh, will we face destructive desires and temptations? You're going to face that. The question is, how will you face them? What do you do when anger floods your system or escapism calls you into a destructive pattern of living or despondency allows words to slip out of your mouth that would not otherwise have been spoken? Remember, to be tempted simply means that you have a pulse. It means that you're still alive because temptation is a part of our lives on this side of heaven and you're just going to have to learn to deal with it. But one of the interesting things we see in Matthew chapter 4 is this temptation comes at a unique and specific time in Jesus' life, which sometimes when we read this text we overlook. Yes, Jesus is in the wilderness, and yes, he's alone, and yes, he is physically weak from fasting, but he is also powerfully and intimately connected with God because he's just had a commitment to investing 40 days to pursuing God in fasting and prayer. So he might not really be weak in the way that we sometimes think of it. He might actually be prayed up and ready for the fight. Oh, he'd be weak physically for sure, but spiritually, I'm not sure that this was a smart time for the devil to attack Jesus. If I was Satan, I probably would have chosen a time and place not right after Jesus was baptized and the words of belovedness were spoken over him. Maybe not right after Jesus had spent 40 days communing with God the Father. The devil may have miscalculated here, because Jesus may have been weak physically, but strong spiritually. Perhaps Jesus was ready to resist. He had developed some spiritual stamina to be able to say, as my African friends love to say, not today, Satan, not today. So let me ask you this question. What state do you find yourself in? How strong or weak are you spiritually right now? Because the answer to that question impacts your capacity to resist temptation. If over a series of time you have become weak, you might need extra support. Uh, I know for me, I meet with a spiritual friend for accountability and conversation every other week. And sometimes we dial the frequency of that up because just frankly, we need more support from and with one another. And so friend, I want to say to you, if you today feel weak, and you just say, I need someone to help carry me, I want you to know that we are here to walk with you. Sometimes it feels so isolating to feel like you've failed or you've just given in to temptation too many times. And I want you to know that we're here to express God's mercy and compassion to you. And if you're feeling weak or you're feeling like a failure spiritually, I want you to reach out and connect with our pastoral team. Just email prayer at jerichoridge.com and we will respond and reach out to you. We will walk with you as God gives us strength. If you're watching online on our interactive church online platform, just click the request prayer now button and you'll be put into a private chat with one of our team. You might feel weak, but friend, I want you to know that we are here as a community and we're here as leaders in the community to help you shoulder that burden. And I want you to know also that you, while we're in this state of being physically distant from each other, can still work to strengthen your spiritual muscles. You can do things like scripture intake. 
Uh, notice how Jesus resists the evil one because he's committed the scriptures to memory and that might be something that you want to do. And this allows Jesus, because he's familiar with the scripture, to know when and how the devil is twisting scriptures in a way that can sound convincing but is actually self-serving and inaccurate. Contemporary American monastic author Thomas Merton said it in this way, the greatest temptations are not, known, not those that solicit our consent to obvious sins, but those that offer us great evils masking as the greatest goods. But Jesus, because he's familiar with the scripture, sees right through it and says to the devil, no, that's not actually what God says. That's not the pathway that God is inviting me to walk up. So, firstly, friends, it is not a sin to be tempted. If Jesus was tempted, you should expect to be tempted. But you should also work at strengthening your spiritual muscles so that you have the resistance and the capacity necessary to resist when temptation comes. Because when it comes, we see in this text the second thing that we need to pay attention to. And that is that temptation is very powerful and very personal. See, the temptations that are put in front of Jesus are not random ones. He's out in the desert. He's hungry as all get out after fasting for 40 days. And the devil doesn't give him a financial temptation. No. The devil puts in front of him the opportunity to take a shortcut, to not be sustained by his relationship with God that he's been cultivating, but just to do a self-serving little magic trick. No one will know. Just take the stones, turn them into loaves of bread. You don't have to be hungry anymore. No big deal. The devil hits him in a place that's very personal and very powerful for him. And the evil one's very smart and very strategic. I know, for example, in my own life that I am extremely susceptible to certain types of sins. I have three of them, actually, that I know really well. And I can tell when I am feeling the tug of temptation toward any of those areas of my life. And I know that I have to be more vigilant in those areas of my life than in other areas where I don't experience temptation in the same way. So think about it this way. Let's say you have a barrel, like a wine barrel, that's uh, made out of wooden staves, and you begin to put liquid into that barrel. Well, the liquid can only go up to the level of the lowest stave. This is called the law of the minimum. That barrel is limited in capacity by its lowest or weakest point. And similarly, in your life and in mine, you might have awesome defenses and a strong capacity to resist temptation in certain areas of your life. Those are your high stave areas. But the same token, you might be exposed or weak or vulnerable to temptation in other areas of your life. And this is why we see some Christian leaders who lead really well and seem very godly in some areas of their life, but in other areas like sexual sin or abuse of power or financial responsibility, they have not put in place the necessary accountability to resist those temptations when they come, and so they choose not to resist. Those are weak staves. And so you need to become a good student of your own areas of weakness and exposure. So if I asked you, could you name 
the top maybe two or three areas that you are likely to be tempted and fall into sin, what would it be? Would it be places like gluttony, maybe gambling, maybe bitterness or jealousy or pride or whatever it might be for you? Do you know where your weak areas are? And also, do you know what triggers those, your trigger points? You know what kind of situations push you over the edge from being tempted to giving in to temptation? Become a student of yourself. For me, I know that I am more susceptible to temptation, not only in those areas, but when I am tired, bored, and hungry. That just puts me at higher risk because temptation is very powerful and it's very personal. And you may not be tempted by what I'm tempted by and I may not be tempted by what you are tempted by. And so we need to have grace for each other as well. I love what uh, Canadian author Margaret Atwood says about this in her creepy novel, The Handmaid's Tale. She says, what you don't know won't tempt you. In other words, there's some things that might be totally off your radar screen in terms of temptation, but someone close to you might experience those as their number one area of weakness. So be gracious to one another. Bond yourself together with others that can help you pay attention to those weak areas of your life where you may not be able to see things in which those areas you need extra support. Jesus was not, for example, in this text, tempted to throw himself off the temple because he wasn't prone to sensationalism. He was a person who chose to be born in obscurity. He lived as an itinerant rabbinical teacher who kept running away from the crowds and kept raising the bar on discipleship so high that the big crowds left him often. So the devil should have chosen a smarter temptation than a, a twisted misquoting of Psalm 91, which is not, by the way, a universal promise of non-harm for the Messiah or for any one of us. But Psalm 91, when you read it, is a wonderful picture of invitation for us to take shelter under the nurturing wings of God in times of storm and trouble in our lives. And so the devil missed that one, I think. So number one, if Jesus was tempted, you will be tempted. Number two, that temptation, when it comes, is likely to be highly personal and highly powerful. But finally, number three, you will be able to resist it. Because with God's help, resistance is possible. See, Jesus, while hungry, says no. I'm going to choose to live my life in surrendered obedience to in connection with God. When he's tempted to put on a show to force the crowds to believe in him as he's majestically saved from his fall from the temple by angelic beings in front of the crowds, Jesus says, uh, no, that would be to test God and I will not accomplish my mission in that way. And intriguingly, that temptation is repeated to him on the cross. When you read that text, those who mock Jesus say, oh, Jesus, come down from the cross and then we'll really believe that you are the son of the living God. And Jesus resists it then like he does now. With God's help, Jesus has the strength to resist temptation. And sometimes in our culture, we like to use the language of scapegoating when we make bad or wrong choices like, oh, the devil made me do it, or, oh, I just couldn't help myself, or, oh, it just runs in my family. But the witness of the scriptures challenges that kind of weak and anemic thinking. Listen to what 
an early leader in the Christian movement, a man by the name of Paul, writes to a group of Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says this, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. God will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, God will show you a way out so that you can endure. In other words, friends, you will never find yourself faced with a temptation that is non-resistible. God will not put you there because that would take away a precious gift of freedom and choice that God has given to us as humans. Now, it may look to you like this is non-resistible, but that might mean that you're not looking for the way out that God is also providing. And friends, this isn't some kind of magical, pain-free, prosperity gospel kind of way out. Sometimes the way out is the way of the cross, the way of suffering, the way of self-giving love that lays down our rights and freedoms for the good of others. And I love in this text in Matthew chapter 4 how the contours of this story actually mirror the journey of the people of God in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, we're told that God led the people of ancient Israel into the wilderness for 40 years so that God could test and see what was in their hearts. And God removed some of the usual structures of their life so that God could see what their response would be. They were led to the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested. And they did not pass this test. In fact, if you read the first five books of the Bible, they failed miserably time and time and time again. But you remember how we talked last week about how the story of Jesus is a story of radical continuity of the people of God and the story of God from the Old Testament. See, in this passage, we see the wilderness temptation repeated again. Jesus also is led into the wilderness, the desert, and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights mirroring the wilderness wanderings of the ancient Jewish people for their 40 years where they experienced numerous temptations. And where the people failed and chose to take shortcuts to disobey God and to rebel, here we see Jesus resist at every turn and emerge as the victor over the tempter. Friends, I, I am convinced that one of the reasons that this story is included in the gospel is that so you and I can see clearly how Jesus succeeds where we as humans fail. Jesus is our victorious advocate. He stands in our place. He offers us life, not only because he experienced everything that you and I experience, but because he succeeded in following God and resisting temptation where all of us have failed. He lived the perfect life because God knows that you and I can't. And because of that, he stands ever ready with his arms open wide, not just with a sense of compassion and understanding because he understands our weaknesses and the times that you and I have sinned and failed in both little and in large ways, but also because he is the perfect and sinless one. And so friend, 
I want to invite you, if you've never taken that step and you've never acknowledged and said, you know, Jesus, I actually know deep down that I'm not a perfect person. I know that I've given into temptation. So I also know that I cannot stand before a holy God with a spotless record that I do not possess. I actually need someone who has a perfect record to stand in my place and to advocate for me. And friend, that's what Jesus did and does for you and I. He lived the perfect life. And because of that, he defeated sin and death and hell on the powers of evil so that you and I could experience and know the beauty of rightly relating to a holy God, not because we've avoided every temptation that's ever come our way. No, you and I and every person who ever lives will still sin on this side of heaven. But, and I'm so grateful for this, we have one who was the sinless one an advocate who ever lives to make intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. We have a Savior who not only knows what temptation feels like, looks like, smells like, but who resisted it and overcame it by standing firm. Friends, this is the Jesus that we serve. This is the one who stands and invites you and I to come to him, not because we're perfect, but precisely because we are needy. We come to God not because we deserve it, but we come through Jesus and because of our faith in him, we draw our strength to resist temptation and to live for him, in him, to the glory of God. And so friends, the way to defeat temptation is not simply by buckling down and trying harder. It is by trusting wholly in the perfect work of the Son of God who was able to resist temptation. It's by coming to the place where you can say, Jesus, you resisted the evil one. Teach me how to live like you live. Strengthen me to live in holiness and purity. Let me walk with you and with others in community so that I can learn together to resist the temptations that are coming my way and our way. And friends, when we can learn to do this, we understand that the story of Jesus is not just any story, it's our story. It's your story. It's my story.